I want to talk about the anointing, why every single believer needs to be anointed. In 1998, I had the privilege of meeting my, my hero, uh, the evangelist Reinhard Bonke, for the very first time. I was a young pastor. I was wet behind the ears. And I knew very little about the ministry. I was driving in my car to meet him. I was nervous. I was excited at the same time. And I was praying in tongues all the way. I was so nervous. When we got to the lunch, there were eight of us, including Brother Reinhard Bonke, who is probably the greatest evangelist together with Billy Graham in our generation. And um, we were sitting in this lunch, and uh, there were eight of us. We are just talking, and somewhere halfway through the lunch, I took a deep breath. I raised my hands. I said, sir, can I ask you a question? He said, yes, you may. I asked him. I said, I'm a young pastor. I'm very inexperienced. And I want to know the anointing. How does it work, the anointing? Could you, t could you talk to me? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that guy started preaching at the table, all right? That's the one thing I love about uh, Reinhardt, whether it's eight people, 8,000 or 800,000, he's still the same. He started preaching at the table. I asked him a second question. Now his spit is flying all over the place and is, he's, uh, he's on fire. By the third question, I think he was ready to give an altar call. And I remember him looking in my eyes and he says, young man, I want to pray for you. And... Um, that was a defining moment in my life because he laid hands on me and he prayed this prayer and he prophesied over my life and he said, many are called, few are chosen. Some are called and few are frozen. <laughs> and then he said, the Lord choose you. Hallelujah. And that was such an amazing moment for me. But I tell you this, I didn't feel a single goosebump. I, didn't, I wasn't slain. I, was, I wasn't shaking. I didn't feel anything i didn't feel the power of god surging through me all i felt was his hands on my head and driving back home i said lord what's the matter with me here's the greatest evangelist that i know in the world and he's laying hands on me and i don't feel anything but i tell you something my friends when i got back home to my uh, house and i opened my bible bam it came alive i started praying bam it came alive and then i realized something i caught something from the man I caught something from the man. I didn't feel it because we're not moved by feelings or what we see. We're moved by the word of God. Hallelujah. We're moved by what we believe. And so I caught something from that man and something changed inside of me. But I tell you this in the name of Jesus today. That's what I want to see happen. I want to release something in the spirit today. I want you to catch the anointing. It's something that's not fought. It's something that is caught. Amen. And I believe the Holy Ghost wants to do that in the church today. Now the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, the true fact is that you have all already been anointed. You need to be activated. Hallelujah. Now if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have, uh, if you've truly been born again, then you have received at least four things that I find in Scripture that your heavenly Father bestowed upon you at your born again and salvation experience i'm sure there are more but these are the four things number one you have all been given a measure of faith the bible says that the just shall live by faith and without faith it is impossible to please god so every one of you here you have a deposit of faith so that you can please him now the wonderful thing about faith 
is that faith in you can grow and it can grow from one level to another level. Amen. That's what Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 says. So you all have a deposit of faith. Number two, the second thing that you've all been given is a measure of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is the agency into which you got born again into the kingdom of God. And all of you, ladies and gentlemen, here, if you have been truly born, been born again, you have a measure of the Holy Spirit in you. Pastor, can I have more of the Holy Spirit? The short answer, yes, you can. Jesus, the Bible says, was given the Holy Spirit without measure. But when the Holy Spirit is given to each one of us, it is measured out. The Bible talks about this measure. But uh, we have the permission of Scripture to ask God for more of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we talk about, Paul talks about being full of the Holy Spirit. I don't just want to be one-third full, half full, three-quarter full. I want to be full to overflowing of the Holy Ghost in my life. Amen. Number three, you've all been given a measure of grace. Paul tells us that to each one is given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Ephesians 4, 7. And this grace is divine enablement that helps you to function in the ministry that you are called to. It's a manifold grace, which means there is a grace for every ministry here in the church. Now, don't please don't be naive and don't get mistaken that, that, that and think that there's only grace for preaching and there's only grace for worship leading. There's grace for everything in ministry. Hallelujah. There's grace for the prophetic for administrations, for healing, for the person that's doing the, the overhead projector. Of, of the, the, I'm sorry, that dates me. <laughs> for the, the computer, all right. Uh, there's, there's, there's grace for media. There's grace for the creative arts. And you need to know what God has graced you for. Amen. Now, all these gifts are from the Heavenly Father. Freely you have received. Freely we give. How you steward the gift is your gift back to God. Amen. When Jesus died on the cross, it was the Father saying, I love you. But when you take up the cross and follow Him, you say to Him, I love you back. Hallelujah. I love you back. Amen. Now, the fourth thing is that you have all been anointed. And um, that's what I want to focus on today. And the anointing. Every believer in this room has received an anointing from the Holy One. And this anointing enables you to function. It enables you to serve in the capacity for which God has created you and designed you for. Now the anointing is like putting an, uh, the key into the ignition. It's like starting the engine. It's the unction woo, that sparks, the, the ignites the gifts of the Spirit within you. If you say, Pastor, I've not been anointed, then you're calling the Holy Spirit a liar because you have. Now the only way for us to fully appreciate the anointing is to understand who and why people in the Old Testament were anointed. Now in the Old Testament, there were three classes of people that were anointed. Number one, kings were anointed. Number two, priests were anointed. But number three, there were also an anointing for lepers. Lepers. Uh, now we're all probably familiar with the anointing upon kings and priests. But most of us probably do not know that there is an anointing for lepers. And we are all lepers before we came to salvation. And I'll explain this to you in a few moments. Leprosy is a dreaded disease that slowly consumes the flesh of its victims. And the toes and fingers and body parts start rotting and falling off. Now in the Old Testament, if a person was, had leprosy, they were banned from being part of the community. 
and they were kept a distance away because the disease was contagious. And every time they were near somebody, they had to say these words, unclean, unclean. And the people would separate themselves from the leper. Now, leprosy is a type of sin. And just as leprosy destroys the physical body, sin uh, the, destroys the soul. And Leviticus chapter 14 talks about uh, a leper that when he got healed, which is a miracle, by the way, that the priest would go out and examine the leper. He would wash the leper, clean the leper, shave his hair, and then bring the leper in, anoint him again. It was a very elaborate process. And the offerings and all these things that were demanded and commanded by Moses in the Old Testament before atonement was made before him and then he was pronounced clean by the priest. Ladies and gentlemen, only God can heal a man with leprosy. Hallelujah. And he was then pronounced clean. Now, in the same way, sin cannot be removed from our, our lives except through the blood of Jesus. And I want to just say this to you. The reason I have communion every day is because I want to honor the blood there's something about the power of the blood that the Holy Spirit wants to manifest in our generation. That we have not yet seen the power of the blood of Jesus being released. Hallelujah. Now I say all of that to say that every single one of you here today have received the leper's anointing. This is the common anointing that is bestowed upon every one of us at our salvation. All of you have been anointed. You have all been pronounced clean. And it's interesting that when a leper is pronounced clean, he's anointed by the priest in his ear, on his thumb, and on his toe. And the anointing of the ear simply means that every one of you can hear from the Holy Ghost. The anointing on the thumb simply means every one of you can function in the capacity God created you. And the anointing on the toe simply means that you can have an uninterrupted walk with the Holy Ghost. Come on, hallelujah. Amen. Come on. There are two words that I want to teach you today, two Greek words and introduce to you. And sometimes we get confused because they sound so much the same, but they're very different. The first word is the word that's coming out on the screen is the word charisma, charisma. And it's the Greek word meaning anointing or function or unction rather. And it's the anointing endowment of the Holy Spirit. It appears only twice in the New Testament. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, But you have a charisma, an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Amen. And then in seven verses down in verse 27, But the anointing, the charisma, which you have received from Him abides in you. Watch this. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. And it's true. It's not a lie. Just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. Now, Watch this, please. There are three things about this charisma on the anointing. Number one, it's a teaching anointing. It teaches you all things. Number two, it's an abiding anointing. It doesn't leave you. And number three, it comes from the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. To you. Amen. Now, what does that mean? It means that the anointing doesn't come upon you just because someone poured oil over your head. Amen. Or because you got voted in some meeting. Amen. Um, even when that happens, it's just a recognition of the gift of God that is in you. It is not man who anoints, but God who anoints. Amen. 
And I believe that if we abide in Him and He in us, that we can never lose this anointing because you cannot be unanointed. Hallelujah. Amen. And the anointed must be appointed in the church. Amen. Now in the Old Testament, the anointing uh, was poured upon the person to activate him or her in the ministry. In the New Testament, it's poured into a person. That's the big difference. Amen. Now, I personally don't think that we can have more of the leper's anointing. It's a teaching anointing. It's an abiding anointing. And it's a sufficient anointing. Amen. Once you're anointed, boy, you are ready to function. Hallelujah. I remember when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I was anointed. Boy, it was just an amazing experience for me. I was on fire. I was the next six months, every moment I woke up, every morning I woke up, there was a burst of joy and, and, and peace that I couldn't explain. It was the most amazing thing. And I was anointed by the Holy Ghost to function in the ministry that God called me to. Now, uh, a lot of people pray and say, Lord, I want a greater anointing. How many of you have prayed that before? I want a greater anointing. And I prayed that before. But the question I want to ask you is, what are you doing with the one that God has already given you? Come on. The Lord said to a friend of mine, why should I increase the flow of the anointing in your life when you're not even using what I've given you? Come on. Jesus alluded to this when he said, the more you use what has been given to you, the more you will be given. Hallelujah. The key, the key in increasing the flow of the anointing in your life, ladies and gentlemen, is to use what God has already given you. Hallelujah. Amen. So you don't lose the anointing, but what can happen is you can actually block the anointing from flowing in your life through sin or whatever. And uh, let me just say that in the Old Testament, the anointing was a copious anointing. In other words, God doesn't just dab a little on your forehead. Boy, He pours it in you in large amounts. Amen. And uh, He's not stingy when it comes to the anointing because without the heavenly unction, nothing will work. Education, talent, energy, sincerity, all these things are important, but they, are, they count for nothing next to the anointing. The anointing is God's ordination on an individual. Now, the second word is the word charisma. And we're all for, for probably very familiar. It means grace or unmerited favor. We need both, by the way. But charisma, the anointing, is not the same as charisma. Charisma, sometimes, you know, we're more interested sometimes in the charisma, the gift of a person. Sometimes we view it as personality. You know, we talk about how a person is, wow, that guy is really charismatic. You know, very he's got a personality that's very outgoing. And, but that's not what charisma is. Charisma is a gift that God has given to you. Now, the problem is, I think that sometimes we are more concerned about the gift rather than the anointing. How is it that people can walk into the church day, week in, week out, bound, and 20 years later, they're still walking in bound and walking out bound, unchanged. And maybe because the people on the pulpit, uh, they have a gift, but they don't have an anointing because a gift can fill the room, a gift can stir people up, but the anointing breaks the yoke. Hallelujah. The anointing breaks the yoke. Hallelujah. There are five ingredients in the anointing oil in the Old Testament. Four are spices. If you add one more, you get the spice girls. <laughs> but the largest component in the anointing is the olive oil. And you know how you get olive oil? You crush them. It goes through the grinder. 
And that tells me that God doesn't want to parade you. He wants to bring you to the grinder. And to the degree that you're willing to allow the Lord to crush you. I tell you to that degree the anointing is going to start flowing in your life in a greater measure. The greatest anointing in the Bible was upon our Lord Jesus Christ. No one comes even close. The spirit of God was given to him. The Bible says without measure. Psalms 45 verse 7 tells us that he was anointed above all his companions. Why? Because no one loved righteousness more than he did and no one hated wickedness more than he did. Luke chapter 4, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is now upon me, for he has anointed me to preach. Let me just say that there is an active energy in preaching. If you don't have the unction to preach, you should not be preaching. Because th there's nothing worse than a man standing up and preaching without the anointing. It's dreadful. But preaching is, the, is not the only thing that we are anointed for. Oftentimes, the moment I use the word anointing, we, our minds conjure a preacher on a platform and doing his, his stuff. Or maybe a worship leader singing with a heavenly voice. Or maybe someone performing signs and wonders and we think, oh my goodness, that's the anointing. No, sir. We've somehow, somehow equated the anointing with the platform. But everybody in the church is anointed. Come on. The usher, the one with the camera, the usher, the one who's serving at the end of the meeting and cleaning up. They have all been anointed. And we've got to see things differently. Amen. The whole body of Christ has been anointed. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went out doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil and God was with him. Now if Jesus has to be anointed, so do we. How much more do we? Amen. It was God who anointed Jesus of Nazareth, not the world council of churches. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, apart from Jesus, the two other men who are most anointed in scripture, as I studied the Bible, is Moses and Elijah. And they were called the sons of oil. They were the two olive trees that stand before the Lord of heaven and earth. And you know, God invested so much into these men. God the Father invested so much in Moses and Elijah. Why? Because they are the two men that we at least know that are going to be the constant companions of our Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. And I, I believe this is what God is looking. He's looking to form the nature of His Son Jesus so that we could be His companions. Hallelujah. For eternity. Amen. He's looking for a bride without spot and without wrinkle. He's looking for a drop dead gorgeous bride. Hallelujah. He's not coming back for a whiny complainy bride. Amen. I'm Pastor, I'm preaching so much better than they're responding. <laughs> it's kind of like, amen. Moses was the lawgiver. The anointing of a Moses' life was wisdom. And Moses gave the foundation of Western civilization. I mean, you, you understand. He gave Israel the law, the tabernacle, led Israel in the wilderness. He gave the, Israel the Torah. And he gave Israel everything that she actually had. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. There was an anointing upon Moses that was unseen. Elijah was the prophet of power. That was his secret weapon. And he could call fire from heaven. Now, if you can call fire from heaven... How many of you know you, you probably have a direct line with God, right? I mean, that guy could call fire from heaven anytime he wished. And that's why God doesn't give us power like that. Because I don't like my wife, Lord, fire. 
You know, my wife tells me that I've got two problems. Number one, she says, you don't listen. Number two, I can't remember, sorry. <laughs> now, when you take Moses' anointing, and you take Elijah's anointing, and you put them together, you get a little idea of the anointing that was upon Jesus Christ. Amen. This brings me to a, a really important point. What's the point? The corporate anointing in the church is always greater than the anointing upon an individual. Watch this. I have a measure of grace. If I join my measure of grace with Clinton, we have two measures. If we join our measure of grace with my wife, we have three, if, and so on. And if I join, and we start joining the measure of grace, we have grace without measure. We have an anointing without measure. Hallelujah. We have a, a spirit without measure. And we have to come to a season, Hope DXB, where we start thinking corporately for the body of Christ. It's no longer, Clinton, Pastor Clinton cannot be thinking, what's good for me and my family? No, sir. He's got to be thinking what's good for the whole church. A corporate anointing. A corporate anointing. Because a corporate anointing is what God is looking to release. Uh, the most, the strongest horse in the world is the Belgium horse. One horse can pull about 12,000 to 14,000 pounds. If you put two Belgium horses together, yoke them together, you would think, well, they can probably pull between 24 to 28,000. No, sir, they will put more than 35,000 pounds because when they come together, there's a synergy. Something happens. There's a multiplication. One will put the flight 1,000. Two will put the flight 10,000. Amen. The new wine, I tell you, is in the cluster. It's when we come together as a people. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, I just want to draw out a few principles about the anointing. Remember the time when Jesus was in Nazareth. We're told that he could do no mighty miracle. Why? Because the atmosphere was so pregnant with unbelief. And not only did they not believe that he was the Messiah, they dishonored him. And the Bible says that he could not do any miracle, only a few miracles by the laying on of hands. In, we have 20 services in my church. Seven are English services. And sometimes I preach in four services and I can tell you this, every service is different. Some services I stand up and you can cut the atmosphere with a knife because it's so thick with the presence of God because people come with expectation. And some services you go, it's like a brick wall and you got to plow and you got to hit and you keep on bang, banging until something breaks in the atmosphere. And again, it all has to do with expectation. I wonder how many of you came today, this morning, with an expectation for God to do something. Probably you didn't think about that. But the greater the expectation, the greater the unction. Now watch this. So in Nazareth, there was no expectation. They were pregnant with unbelief. Jesus could do no miracles except lay hands on some of a few people. In other cities, in other cities, he, all he did was walk through the village and everyone that reached out and touched the hem of his garments got healed without any doing. I mean, that's all. He, he just walked through. They were touching the hem of his garments and everybody got healed. Expectation. 
When I hear men like Smith Wigglesworth say, if God is not moving, I will move him. Hallelujah. It's not a statement of ignorance or arrogance. They know what they carry. And the whole principle here that I'm trying to allude to is that no matter what the atmosphere, they could not shut the anointing that was in Jesus. He still could heal the sick by the laying on of hands. At least he could still heal the sick. Amen. So the atmosphere doesn't, you know, I can go to a meeting that is so thick with unbelief, but God can still move in the meeting because the anointing breaks the yoke. Amen. Uh, you, when you hear men like uh, General, General William Booth saying, I am not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. I, I think God looks down and smiles at that kind of chutzpah, you know, that, that kind of audacity. Hallelujah. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, stir up the gift of God within you. The gift of God needs to be spoken to. It needs to be stirred up. It needs to hear your voice. You need to say, I command the gift of God within me to be stirred up to arise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, one or two more points and I'm going to take this to a landing. I, I realized that we have time limitations here. Um, some anointings are for a, a season. When I first started ministry, I was a young man. I got saved, got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I started ministry as a worship leader. I led worship in, my, in the cell group that I was in. And then they promoted me. I led worship in the church. And then God promoted me. I started leading in corporate meetings. And then I started leading in the full gospel businessmen's meeting. And then I started leading in bigger platforms until I had 10,000 people sometimes as I was leading worship. Big meetings, a lot of people would come for the indoor stadiums and God would use me to lead worship in all those different settings. Then my time came and I felt my season was over as a worship leader. The Lord says, I want to move you to something different. And so I did what was called the rock music seminars. Now, I, I'm not promoting rock music. I was exposing rock music. By the, In those days, there were these 12-inch uh, vinyl records. Yeah, some of you need to Google what that is, right? And if you sort of reverse at a slower speed, you have all these subliminal messages. Praising the devil, worshipping the devil, and all kinds of things, right? Nowadays, they don't do that. It's in your face, right? <laughs> they just worship the devil. But in those days, it was very interesting. The, the, the album, album uh, covers and, uh, were very satanic and we were trying to expose the dangers of rock music. And boy, I was good at doing this. I was so good at I was preaching twice, three times a week, every week. And in every meeting, many people got saved. And I cut my teeth preaching. I learned how to give an altar call. When you're preaching twice a week, every week, uh, evangelistic meetings, three times a week, uh, for the whole year, you learn how to do an altar call. You learn how to preach. You learn how to, to, to feel the atmosphere of the audiences and I was successful uh, I had invitations to preach everywhere I was interviewed by the newspapers by on television on radio but that season came to an end and the Lord says now stop this I'm moving you to the next season I was anointed but it is for a season do you understand okay if you don't overstay the season sometimes we overstay the season and we're doing the same things 20 years later we're still doing it and we're still grinding the mill and i'm telling you sometimes you've got to recognize when the season is over move on to the next one move on to the next season that god has called you i call these things i call these special anointings for a season hallelujah and uh one last thing i'll, do, I'll say before i close because of time uh, the anointing enables you to function uh, na what naturally you are unable to function. Um, have you ever seen these performers, these famous pop stars that you love sometimes 
on the stage doing crazy stuff and it mesmerizes the audience. And the truth is many of them are doing what they are doing only because they need a leg up. They need the booze. They need the uh, amphetamines. They need the drugs that energizes them to do what they, uh, they, to make them come alive, to do what they can do. Without them, they can't perform. But we are the children of God. We don't need a leg up. We don't need a drug to get stimulated, pumped or psyched. What we have is far greater. We have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. You have an anointing in you. Woo! Amen. That enables you to do what ordinarily you cannot do. That's the anointing. Amen. We've all heard preaching that made us burn. We've all heard singing that made us soar into the heavenlies. And ladies and gentlemen, even if you can't sing, the Bible says sing unto the Lord. You say why? Because God has auto-tune in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> and we've all seen miracles. That, and that's the anointing. Hallelujah. That's the anointing. You cannot copy the anointing. There are no photocopying machines made in Japan in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to close by saying that there is something more than the anointing on a leper, which is the common anointing. There's an anointing on a priest. And the priest has to do with intercession, worship. Has to do with the censer, you know, the censer, the incense. But the king has to do with warfare. Has to do with with, uh, with the battles and he carries a scepter. He doesn't carry a censer, he carries a scepter for ruling and we need both. David was anointed three times. The first anointing enabled him to endure the wilderness, kill Goliath, write the Psalms and it was a wonderful anointing, the leper's anointing. But he was anointed a second time in Hebron. It was a priestly anointing, the intercessory prayer the anointing to, to, to spend time in the presence of God and pray. The third anointing was the king's anointing. And he was anointed in Hebron in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And after that, watch this, after he was anointed, he fought all the battles. All the battles because that was the anointing upon a king.